following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. It's been a while, but I was a young adult at the time. It seems like a lifetime ago. I remember a conversation I had with my mom. Actually, she did the talking and I did the listening because I didn't know how to respond. I knew she was right, but I wasn't ready to commit to any sort of a, a change in, in my life patterns. And so what she said to me was this, I wish that you put as much effort into your relationship with God as you do your weightlifting. Now in those days, that was my all-encompassing thing was weightlifting. I did, I spent money on it. I spent time on it. I studied it to become more effective at it. I wanted to be as big and strong as I possibly could. And I was, I was having some success at it. And what my mom was doing, she didn't say stop lifting weights. She said this, your aim is focused on the wrong thing. She didn't use those words, but what she was getting at was this. Your aim and focus is on the wrong thing, and you need to focus on God making him your priorities. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Zig Ziglar said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. When it comes to parenting, a lot of times we are aiming at nothing. Sometimes we do take aim, but we end up aiming at the wrong things. So today we're going to look to God's word for wisdom about what parents should aim at. Last week we began a series on biblical parenting, and it continues today. We'll also be discussing it tonight, and I think next Sunday night as well. We began, however, with three fundamental principles. First, parents... According to God's word, you have been placed in authority over your children to shepherd their heart towards God. Second thing we saw was that as, um, as parents, we must empower our children to become self-controlled people living under God's authority. In our day, we hear a lot of talk about empowerment. Well, as Christian parents, we are to empower our kids, but not just any old empowerment but to live self-controlled lives under the authority of God. And third, we saw that our children are not neutral. They will either worship God or idols of the heart. And biblical terms for idolatry include many things like fear of man, evil desire, lusts, pride. Other idols include conformity to the world, embracing earthly mindsets, and setting the affection on things below. What we are talking about are motives, desires, wants, goals, dreams, hopes, and expectations that rule a child's heart. And these things do not have to be articulated, that is, stated outright, for them to be present in your child. So parenting will require us to aim at the right thing. 
Yesterday, as I was talking about this with some godly men, I was reminded that most likely the kids won't be able to really understand what some of this is. But the truth is, what we are talking about is for us as parents and even grandparents. So what are we aiming at? Many and perhaps most parents would answer the question by explaining that they are aiming to raise their children to become successful people who live happy lives and do well. Now the shape and color of what that might look like and would be different from one person to the next, but the word success, success seems to capture the heart of many parents. The mindset provides the target that guides, that mindset provides the target that guides many parenting decisions. Because, and because we have several options for what success looks like, we can be aiming in a million different directions. Well, let's consider some of the best options that are out there. Uh, and then we'll look at them in context. Develop special skills. Develop special skills. As a parent, do you measure success by how many activities your child is involved in? Is success measured by your child's ability to acquire knowledge, skills, and ability? Developing skills is not inherently wrong. Much of it is good, but skills are not the target for which we should aim. And I would tell you, as a parent, this has been a temptation for Christy and I from the beginning. In fact, I would tell you we kind of failed in this regard. And it happened before our kids even started going to school. When Kenny was about to enter preschool, we got a letter from the school saying, here is where your child should be at in his acquisition of knowledge, skills, and ability before he comes to school. And I get why the school has those rules in place. He must be potty trained. Parents are like, teachers are like, that's good, that's a good one, we like that. He should be able to say these types of words, words that are this long, and be able to put this many words together in a sentence of this length. This is where he should be at. And so now as a parent, you know what we're concerned about? Are my kids living up to these standards of skills? Not wrong to want my kids to be able to talk, but we would then assess our own kids. Okay, Kenny, he's got this. He's, he's, you can't stop him from talking. He's, he's using big words already, okay? And, and other, other sons have come along, and our daughter, we're like, okay, check, check. Mm, potty trained, not yet. We've got to work on that. And, but you're in the temptation to make life as a parent about the skills they develop comes early. It's not wrong, but perhaps it can be out of order. Psychological adjustment. Is your aim as a parent to make sure that your children do not struggle with the same phobias and fears that you do? There are many books that are aimed at helping parents raise their children to be psychologically well-adjusted. It is a growing industry that preys on our fears that our children will struggle, struggle mentally and emotionally the way that we did. When you consider such books, I'm not against those books, but a good question might be asked is this, is the thing towards which this book is directing me, this psychological adjustment, is this a biblical concept? About 50 years ago, I remember reading an article by a a non-believing psychologist, he wrote, his headline of his article was called, Whatever Happened to Sin? Because the psychology world does not really believe there's such a category. There's only positive and negative behaviors and choices. And so some of the decisions that uh, psychologists might direct you towards are not biblical. So it's family, uh, psychological adjustment's not a bad thing, but it can't be the primary thing that we as parents aim for. Family devotions, ooh, this gets right at the Kitnoya house. 
These are good things. We do them at home. But doing devotions is not the goal. It should not be to check off boxes. It is a tool that can help us get much closer to God and understand him and love him better. The goal of family devotion should be knowing and loving God more, not just checking off a religious box. Good manners. Of course, we want well-behaved children. This is a good thing, but do we want well-mannered children because poor manners are annoying and embarrassing to us as the parent? Or do we want children to have good manners because it helps them love their neighbors well? Some people are like Eddie Haskell. Do you remember him from Leave it to Beaver? He could say something really kind, be like, Hello, Mrs. Cleaver, I hope the day finds you well. And as soon as she walks around the corner, he's trying to get uh, Beaver to get into a car with him and drive across the state or something. He used good manners to manipulate people, and people do that. I have seen this working in the psych hospital. I've seen this working. I worked in a facility. It was in juvenile detention, a step below. And I have had conversations with kids who are really good at having smart, thought-provoking conversations and having good manners to get something out of you. But as soon as you turned your back, they had cheeked their med, and they were passing it off to somebody else so that they could get a cheap high. You see... Good manners are a good thing, but it can't be the end-all, be-all. And when we have good manners without reference to God, they can be tools of manipulation. Good education. The aim here is not merely getting good grades. Getting good grades is something we should shoot for. But here what I'm talking about is a focus, an emphasis on receiving academic awards and recognition. Not bad, but it can't be our primary aim as parents. Because the truth is some kids have to work twice as hard to get a B as some kids have to work just to get an A. Some kids get an A with very minimal effort. Some have to work diligently to get a B. Control. Some parents have no noble goal at all. They just want to keep their children under control. Sometimes I can careen into that as well. Most things that we as parents aim at are not inherently wrong. The problem is that sometimes we make secondary goals our primary aim. When secondary goals become primary, they can become an idol. And because our children are not neutral and neither are we, our children will worship something. They will either worship God or idols of the heart. So let's think this through where the rubber hits the road. Is getting good grades important? Yes, so long as it doesn't become all important. Is getting into a good college important? Sure, but it should not be the end-all, be-all of life. Is it okay to love basketball? Yes, so long as you do not love it more than God. Is it okay to love weightlifting? Yes, so long as you do it for the glory of God. Can I be frank with you? Back in those days, I hardly lifted weights for the glory of God. In fact, I, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I would have headphones on, hoodie up over my head, but I didn't want to talk to anybody. But However, I didn't mind seeing people in the mirror watching to see how much weight I was lifting. I did not do it for the glory of God. I did it for the glory of Dan, and I was pretty strong, and it got attention, a lot of it. And so as long as having our affections rightly ordered, help us take aim at good, godly goals. Old church, old people from yesteryear who are Christians, we used to talk about having rightly ordered affections. God first, 
and other things then begin to fall into their right place. And so that's what I'm talking about this morning as we're talking about aiming at the right things because it helps us put things in order and, and, and it helps us keep from making idols out of things that God has given us to enjoy. So let me say this clearly. If we as parents think that work, sports, patriotism, school, money, or anything else are of paramount importance, then your kids likely will too. Then we will both be aiming at the wrong target. Our kids need us to know how to rightly order our affections, and that requires us to aim at the right target. So what should we aim at? Is there anything in Scripture that helps parents aim in the right direction? And I would say it helps all people aim in the right direction. 1 Corinthians 10.31 teaches us that we should aim to raise our children to glorify God in whatever they do. So let's take a look at the verse. I want to read it in context, verse 23 to 33, but our focus is on verse 31. Can I say one thing as a sidebar about Bible interpretation? Ready? I've been told recently, and this seems to work out well, context is the killer of heresy. In other words, when we study a verse in context, it help keeps, helps keep us from teaching stuff that is not true. So while we're going to focus on verse 31, it is a good practice to make sure we look at it in context. Verse 23 to 33, please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's word, because we as parents, like our kids, stand under the authority of God. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go... Eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean for your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Let's read verse, chapter 11, verse 1, 2. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for the word of God, which helps guide us as we seek to shepherd our children and grandchildren. I pray, Father, your blessing upon us today as we dig into the word of God. Let us aim true as parents and grandparents as we raise our children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What in the world was going on with that passage? It starts out easy enough to understand, and then we're talking about a meat market. Well, in Corinth, there were places where meat was dedicated to idols as part of their pagan worship. Paul calls these idols, and in another place, he calls them demons, and says they are nothing. Still, a Christian cannot go places where idols are worshipped, stands to reason. 
And now, some of those meats were offered, that were offered to idols were then later sold in the meat market. Can a Christian buy it? Or what if an unbelieving friend invites you over for dinner? Can you go? Paul's advice is that an idol is nothing, so don't worry about whether or not the meat at the supermarket was once offered to an idol. That idol is nothing. It's just a statue, a figurine. Because an idol is nothing, and God owns everything. So go ahead, buy the meat, and enjoy it to the glory of God. And if a friend invites you over for dinner and you feel like going, go ahead and enjoy. And don't feel obligated to ask a bunch of questions because of the sake of conscience. Because, as I told you before, an idol is nothing. Don't let it even be a matter of conscience. You are free to enjoy it. However, he does give one caveat. If your friend informs you that the meat that, w- that you're about to eat was offered to an idol, don't eat it on account of them. We don't want our freedom in Christ to be a stumbling block to their coming to faith in Jesus. Uh, our liberty in Christ isn't determined by someone else's conscience. Still, we don't want to be a stumbling block to someone else coming to faith. Now, the first time I read this that I really recall reading it was uh, about 20-some years ago. That was back when I was still in that whole want to get as big and strong as possible because my body hadn't started to fall apart yet. And I used to go to the sandwich shop called Boston Market. Now, I don't like lettuce and tomato on sandwiches. But I do request the sandwich without lettuce and tomato and double meat. While the sandwich maker was making my shop, my sandwich in the back, I heard him start to get angry because the sandwich had no lettuce and tomato, but twice the ham. Turns out he was vegetarian. So then I was like, and then I go read this verse, and I'm like, wait a second, what did I, how did I mess up? You know, his con- Here was the thing, his conscience bothered him because I was enjoying ham that God had given for me to enjoy. And I always said, thank you for my food. And so his conscience was, was bothering him on account of me, and he was angry at me. And so I really felt like I had somehow failed. But the truth was, what Paul is talking about is something entirely different. No, I probably... Okay, first off, if you're a vegetarian, what in the world are you doing working at a deli? Right? But what Paul is getting as the idea of an unbelieving friend inviting you over... He's bought this cut of meat that was at one time offered to an idol. He says, don't even ask questions about it, because the idol is nothing. But now if he randomly says to you, yeah, this was offered to, to Apollo or Zeus, don't eat that thing, because you don't want that to be a hindrance to their coming to faith in Christ. He can't think that you're worshiping his false god. Otherwise, enjoy, the, enjoy that pork chop. Enjoy that steak or whatever it was. So let's apply, though, some of these, these principles to parenting, because the real good question is, what does this have to do with parenting? Well, there's actually two things that are actually pretty, pretty important. Certain things are inherently sinful and are therefore ruled out for Christians, right? So going to a temple where uh, demonic idols were worshipped was absolutely ruled out. I, as, I've never been tempted to do that. But I have family members who were invited to go to places where the occult was dabbled with. 
So don't go dabbling with, don't go dabble with, with the occult and certainly don't go places where they are offering sacrifices to demonic idols. That's out of the question, Christian. Like that's a, that pretty well a no-brainer. But then there's other things. We cannot worship demons and idols and still be okay with God. Certain things are also ruled out for the Christians and they include, well, the things you know, like theft, drunkenness, sex outside of marriage lying, dishonoring our parents. Those things are ruled out for the Christian. And so we as parents must teach our kids what God requires of us and teach them to obey. As parents, we are responsible to teach these things to our kids and they are responsible for how they respond. When we think about discipline, this isn't really part of the message, but each kid's a little different. Uh, Chrissy, probably all you had, all they had to do was look at her a little cross-eyed, and she would feel awful for what she had done if she had sinned as a kid. Her brother, and so they didn't, probably didn't have to spank her at all, to be frank. The brother, her older brother, was like, "Can we just spank me and get it over with?" But you made him sit down in a chair. You would have thought you'd strangled that kid. Spank me and let me just go on with my day. And so each kid's different. As parents, we must teach our kids right from wrong, and we must discipline them. This is what God expects of us. For a Christian, enjoying certain things really is a matter of conscience, unless your enjoyment of those things can hinder an unbeliever from hearing the gospel. And this can be a little difficult, but we can enjoy things like NASCAR. I don't understand that, but people love it. Football weightlifting and learning and basketball game. We can enjoy all that stuff. I want to talk about watching a football game really quick, but to tell you about conscience, people's conscience, how they differ. Uh, when I was in Ellington, I would go to the, the gym. There was one gym in town, and it was, you know, poorly attended, but it was a pretty nice gym. And I would go there, and there was another guy from another church there, really uh, strong, but was passionate about what he believed. And uh, I could see that he was growing. But we, we ended up talking. I don't know how it came up, but we talked about watching football. He's like, you can't watch football. What's wrong with watching, watching football? Well, on the commercial breaks, they were always advertising beer. That didn't bother me at all. I mean, I don't like it, but it wasn't really offending my conscience. But for him, it was. So I guess if I was going to have him over, I wouldn't be like, come on over and watch the football game because would, that would bother him. If I was having a Jewish person over who was a Christian but still was trying to stay kosher, if I invite him over for dinner, probably not going to serve a pork chop for him. Like, you've got to respect their, their conscience. And, and so we think through these things. Some of this is hard, but the basic principle I want us to get is there's a lot of things that God wants us to enjoy and be thankful for. And we should enjoy those things and thank God for them. But God isn't just concerned with what you do. He is concerned with why we do it. And this is important for parenting because it gets to the question of what are we aiming at. Well, verse 31, do all things for the glory of God. Let's take a look again. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Last night, as I set my coffee maker and this verse was fresh in my mind, I said to myself, tomorrow morning, I am enjoying this cup of coffee to the glory of God. 
And that may sound silly, but we have people in the Christian world who say, no, this is really how we ought to live life. We should enjoy the things that God provides us and give thanks to him. What would that look like in day-to-day life? Well, when you take your kid fishing, whether you catch a bass or not, you say, thank you, Lord, that I got to go fishing. Thank you for bass. Thank you for the sunset. Thank you for the trees and the water. Thank you, God, for these things that I enjoy so much. Thank you for NASCAR and those mighty machines. Thank you for the things of life. Thank you for coffee and steak. It's okay to enjoy those things. Maybe don't eat in front of a vegetarian brother, or, but enjoy those things and thank God for them. Whatever you do, whether you eat, do it to the glory of God. Even if that meat was once offered to an idol, because the idol's nothing. If you enjoy a cup of coffee or whatever, to the glory of God. Thank God for it. Whatever you do. We should aim to raise our children to do the same. To glorify God in all that they do. Doing so puts everything else in the correct order. If our parenting is about shepherding our child's heart, then we must shepherd them to seek to glorify God from the heart. From the heart. If we teach our kids to use their abilities, aptitudes, talents, and intelligence to make their lives better without reference to God, we turn them away from God by teaching them to find their soul's delight in going places and doing things. So what the idea there is simply this. We, 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 it's good to do things that we enjoy, but to do it and thank God for it. How would this play out in a day-to-day life of a parent or a grandparent? Well, one of the things, and I'm not saying this is a, what every parent, parent has to do. This is just one of the things that we do. At night, I always go in the kids' bedrooms, and I ask them two things. What was the best part of your day and the worst part of their day? However, I will be honest, when I know they're grumbling about something that's kind of childish, I, I avoid the second question. Best part of your day, worst part of your day. And then we pray. And well, it's things like this. Lord, we thank God that we got to, our friends got to come over and play today. Thank you for our friends. And every Sunday and Wednesday, I hope they're not just saying it because their dad's the pastor, but they always thank God. That they always... Going to church was the best part of their day, so we thank God for our church family and the friends that we've gotten to know and love since we've been here at Calvary. And if there was basketball, well, thank you, Lord, for basketball. And in my part as well, you know, today I was able, I was able to lift weights again. See, the thing that was an idol once was taken away by a messed up back. And so before when I lifted weights, there was never a concern about whether it glorified God, but now, thank you, Lord that I can lift weights, which is, you know, to tell you, I mean, to lose something you loved and then get it back is like a gift from God. And so I think what I'm doing is I'm teaching my kids to thank God and enjoy the things that God's given them to enjoy to the glory of God. One of the things I love is, and you'll see guys like Patrick Mahomes does this, and this year we had two quarterbacks in the Super Bowl that were Bible, you know, believing Christians, and and they say things like, we do this for the glory of God. And that is such a great mindset. I'm sure that because they're so good, there's probably a wrestling match that goes on in their soul because they're human beings. And this 
and everyone's talking about how great they are, and is this guy going to be the best quarterback in history? Is he going to unseat Tom Brady? There has got to be a wrestling match in their hearts and minds. And to keep them organized properly, to keep their affections in the right order, they remind themselves that they play football for the glory of God. As a parent, I like to read a lot. Reading can just be a thing that I do, or I can be a, I enjoy a book to the glory of God. Because God, for whatever reason, strange as it may seem to some of you, I like reading. And I do a lot of it. So when we teach our kids to use their abilities, aptitudes, talents, and intelligence to make life better, it must also include God. It can't be without reference to God, or we turn them unintentionally to pursuing idols. Manners can be used to manipulate. Academic accolades can be a key to open doors to pride if we let it. And as can an overemphasis on good looks, it's not wrong to take care of ourselves and try our best to look appropriate and nice and all those things, but those things can become all-encompassing. When earning performance approval from others is foremost, we have aimed at the wrong target. And it can become an idol. Athletics can become an end in of itself. It's fine to play sports, soccer, whatever. But don't forget that God's the one who gave you this pleasure that you get to enjoy. And when we do that, you know what we do? We put everything in the right context instead of making an idol out of stuff that we like. But when we make it our aim to teach our kids to glorify God, we will be able to put everything in the right order. So how does this work out in daily living? Well, whatever gifts and talents God has given to your children should be developed as a stewardship of those resources. Some, some kids have a natural aptitude to learn stuff. Some kids are naturally athletic. Some kids are both. Whatever gifts God has given your child, develop them, but do it as a stewardship of gifts that God has given to your children. It puts things in the right, right order. Any skills, whether academic, athletic, or artistic, or something else that would make our children more able to serve and open channels of ministry should be encouraged. Should be encouraged. I was talking to Chad this morning. I had to make, because I had heard him share this before and he gave me permission to share it. Oh, he's a, I mean, it'd be shocking to look at him because he, but he's actually a, a basketball player and he was really good at it. I, he still, it actually, his son actually kind of bragged about how his friends are like, man, your dad could still play. But God gave him gifts and he stewarded those. But then he took them uh, as a part of ministry and he went overseas with a group called Athletes in Action. And they use sports as a way to reach out to other sports-minded people so they could share the gospel around the world. See, it's, it's fine to develop our skills, and, but we can't do it without reference to God. Sometimes it's to be able to reach people you couldn't normally meet. If you're mus musically inclined, maybe that's a tool you can use to reach other people who are, are musically inclined. I'm not at all. Someone once said that like attracts like. So if you're musical, you might be able to attract musically-minded people that I could never reach. 
whether it's homework, family devotions, football practice, or serving in church, the end goal of these things should be to glorify God. Now pause for a second. I don't know if that feels like a lot of pressure, but I don't think that it is. Because if, if, if success before God is depend, dependent solely upon our performance, yeah, that's going to be a lot of pressure. But I'll just share with you, I've got four kids. All of my kids get good grades. One has to work twice as hard as the other to get comparable grades. So you know what I tell the one? He's, his grades are still not quite as good as the other, but they're good. I said, you know, I'm proud of you, and I respect the fact that you work so hard on your grades. God is honored by that effort. He may be a straight B instead of a straight A student. Well, he gets some A's in there, too. My point is this. If success is our objective, that will add a lot of stress to you, your marriage, and your family. But if doing our best to God's glory, if I get knocked down or cross the finish line, that takes a lot of pressure because at the end of the day, we did all that we could to the glory of God, and God knows the hearts of men, women, and children. Take the pressure off. Pursue basketball or football or crossfitting to the glory of God. Give it your best. Use it where you can to bring honor and glory to, to the name of Jesus Christ. If your son is a, or daughter is a, a valedictorian, praise God for that. God has given them a gift. Steward it to the best of your ability for the glory of God and the good of others. Whether it be enjoying life's pleasures or developing knowledge, skills, and ability, if we do it to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we will be aiming at the right thing. This should guide our efforts as parents. You guys may remember the movie Chariots of Fire. It came out in the 80s. There was about a guy named Eric Liddell. And he was a strong Christian, and he was a great athlete. And he has this conversation. He didn't want to run on Sundays because Sunday is the Lord's Day. And that cost him something. But he also felt called to be a missionary to China. And this is what he said. I believe he wrote it in a letter to his sister. I believe the Lord has called me to China. But he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel the Lord's pleasure. That is all the difference in the world between doing things because you like it versus doing things to the glory of God. And he did both. He ran in one and he went to China. See parents, what I hope you get is this. God has given all these wonderful things. As American Christians, we've got so many blessed options. Some of those options actually add more stress to our life. But whatever we do, do with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to the glory of God. Whether it's paint a painting, dunk a basketball, or perform a power clean, do it to the glory of God. And it will make life a whole lot more meaningful and a whole lot more satisfying because we'll be aiming at the right how do we respond to this? Well, as parents, it's uh, uh, one of the things that we do as Christians when we, we study the Bible, we listen to Bible teachers, or 
other people in class or just other Christians, we hear wisdom we didn't know before, we're like, yeah, I think that's right. What do we do? We recalibrate. Well, most of you are already doing some really good things. All of us, probably at one point, none of you guys do things to harm your kids, right? I don't, but I don't always have the end goal of glorifying God in mind. So for us as Christian parents, or any Christian, whatever we do, whether it's parenting our kids or grandparenting or doing our job, do it for the glory of God. Give it our best. That's how we respond to a message like this. Finally, as Chad comes to play our song of invitation, when we're talking about doing things for the glory of God, one of the things that I think is behind this thinking of Paul's, Jesus once was asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, oh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you and I realize that we've not always done everything we do to the glory of God, and we've not always loved our neighbor like, our, like we would want to be loved, what the Bible is really showing us is that we have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning, if you would like to, to turn from sin, turn to Jesus in faith and call on him for salvation, he will hear you. He will save you. And perhaps this morning you're a Christian, but as you look across the state condition of our world, we see how blessed we really are. We also see that all the blessings have kind of sidetracked us. I think the right response for Christians is not so much to wring our hands in grief, to fold our hands in prayer asking God to bring re revival. And the, re the revival we've seen that started in Kentucky continue. Pray for our kids. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.